ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله amma ba'd so carrying on with the poem of ibn abi dawood the ha'iyah we come to the section now where he says wa laysa bi mauludin wa laysa bi walidin wa laysa lahu shibhun ta'ala al-musabbah in these lines now he is quoting or referencing Surah Al-Ikhlas. Hadha ma'khudun min qawlillahi ta'ala fi Surah Al-Ikhlas. Qul huwa Allahu ahad, Allahu samad, lam yalid wa lam yulad, wa lam yakul lahu kufuwan ahad. So in this section, that is what he is talking about. He is talking about Surah Al-Ikhlas where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions Qul huwa Allahu ahad Say that he is Allah the one Allahu samad Allah is a samad Lam yalid wa lam yulad He did not beget nor was he begotten meaning he did not give birth nor was he given birth to walam yakullahu kufuwan ahad and there is no equal or partner to him so this particular chapter of the quran surah al-ikhlas it is one of the greatest sections of the quran and it has been mentioned that it is equivalent to a third of the Qur'an. That Surah Al-Ikhlas, قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ It is equivalent to a third of the Qur'an. إِنَّهَا لَتَعْدِلُ ثُلُثَ الْقُرْآنِ That it is equal to a third of the Qur'an. What does that mean though? How is Surah Al-Ikhlas equal to a third of the Qur'an? One of the ways to understand why this one Surah is equal to a third of the Qur'an is because the Qur'an has three main topics. The Qur'an has three main topics. القرآن على ثلاثة أقسام إما توحيد وهو الإخبار عن الله وعبادته والنهي عن الشرك به One topic of the Quran is about توحيد worshipping Allah سبحانه وتعالى alone and not making any partners alongside him in worship 
One topic of the Quran is that. One topic of the Quran is about Tawheed, worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone and not associating any partners with Him. The second topic of the Quran is وَإِمَّا awamir وَنَوَاهِ وَهِيَ الْحَلَالُ وَالْحَرَامُ وَالْحَكَامُ The second overall topic of the Quran is about the commandments and the prohibitions. The halal and the haram. What is allowed and what is not allowed. The rulings, the ahkam. That is the second main topic of the Qur'an. When you read through the Qur'an, this is one of the main topics. The topic of halal and haram, what is allowed and what is not, what you've been commanded to do and what you've been prohibited from doing. That's the second main topic of the Qur'an. The third main topic of the Qur'an وَإِمَّا إِخْبَارٌ عَنِ الرُّسُلِ وَالْأُمَمِ وَالْمَاضِي وَالْمُسْتَقْبَلِ وَالْجَنَّةِ وَالنَّارِ The third topic of the Qur'an is about the stories of the prophets and messengers and the nations that went by before. Stories of the nations the prophets and the messengers that went by before, and also about things which are going to happen in the future. So stories about the past, and also about the events that are going to happen in the future, and about paradise and hell, that is the third main topic of the Qur'an. So the Qur'an, when you read it, you come across these three main topics. One is about Tawheed, one is about the rulings, what is halal and what is haram, allowed and not allowed. And one is about the events of the past, the prophets and messengers and their nations, and about the events of the future, the day of judgment, etc., and about paradise and hell, that is the third main topic of the Qur'an. From those three topics, Suratul Ikhlas is about how many of them, which one of them? About Tawheed. So from those three topics, Suratul Ikhlas is 100% about Tawheed. So it's like it is one third of the Quran because the Quran has how many overall topics? Three. And Suratul Ikhlas is purely about one of them out of the three. So it's like it is equivalent to a third of the Quran. That's one way to understand it. You cannot think. That Surah Al-Ikhlas is equal to a third of the Qur'an in terms of actually reading. 
If you read Surah Al-Ikhlas three times, can you say you read the whole Quran? No, even though Surah Al-Ikhlas is equal to one third of the Quran, so if you read it three times, it makes a full one. A third and a third and a third make one full, complete. So if you read Surah Al-Ikhlas three times, can you say you read the whole Quran? No. It doesn't mean it's equal to a third of the Quran like that. What's the proof? What if somebody says, Innaha la ta'adilu thuluth al-Quran? The hadith where the Prophet said, it is equivalent to a third of the Quran. And somebody says, if I recite Al-Ikhlas three times, I've recited the whole Quran. What is the proof? One, one proof. There are different ones maybe, but one easy proof that this can't be right. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh, that's true. That's true. There are different topics of the Quran. If you only read Surah Al-Ikhlas, you've read the topic of Tawheed, but you haven't read the other two topics, so you haven't read the full Quran in that way. But there's another thing. When you pray, at the beginning, after you do the Takbirat Al-Ihram, Allahu Akbar, then what's the first thing, the, the pillar that you have to recite is? Al-Fatiha, you have to recite Al-Fatiha next. And then after that, you can recite whichever part of the Quran. What if somebody says, Allahu Akbar, Qul Allahu Ahad, three times. Al-Ikhlas, three times. And then carries on. And he says, this will be enough. Because if I read Al-Ikhlas three times, I have read all of the Quran, which includes Al-Fatiha. So can you do that? No. So that's why they say that it is equal to a third of the Quran. That it counts for the reward. It is equal to a third of the Quran and the reward you get for reciting it. But it's not equal to a third of the Qur'an in the actual reading of the Qur'an. So you cannot read Al-Ikhlas three times and say, I've read all of the Qur'an, including Al-Fatiha, so I've done the rukun of the prayer, I don't need to read Al-Fatiha now. Incorrect. So this is one of the ways to understand it, what the Shaykh said here. That the Qur'an is different topics, three main topics. One of them is Tawheed and Al-Ikhlas is pure, 100% about Tawheed. So it is like a third of the Qur'an in that way. فَهَذِهِ السُّورَةِ خُلِّصَتْ بِالْقِسْمِ الْأَوَّلِ وَهُوَ الْإِخْبَارُ عَنِ اللَّهِ عَزَّ وَجَلْ فَهِيَ فِي التَّوْحِيدِ وَلِذَلِكَ صَارَتْ تَعْدِلُ ثُلُثَ الْقُرْآنِ فِي الْفَضْلِ so this particular surah, it is exclusively only about the topic of Tawheed. So it is equivalent to a third of the Qur'an in virtue 
ولذلك صارت تعدل ثلث القرآن في الفضل So it is equivalent to a third of the Quran in virtue لأنها خلصت بتوحيد الله عز وجل هذا وجه تسميتها بسورة الإخلاص And that's the reason why it is known as Surah Al-Ikhlas. What does Ikhlas mean in Arabic? Sincerity, they say, but there's more to it in the linguistic meaning of it. Purity, something pure. You say, this is pure water. Or this is pure honey. Something pure. So Al-Ikhlas is purely about Tawheed. And that's why it is known as Al-Ikhlas. So what is the meaning of it then? Because Al-Imam Ibn Abi Dawood mentioned, وَلَيْسَ بِمَوْلُودٍ وَلَيْسَ بِوَالِدٍ وَلَيْسَ لَهُ شِبْهٌ تَعَالَى الْمُصَبَّحُ At the beginning, it says, قُلْ Say, O Muhammad. So this is the khitab to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, but it means to everybody, say to the mushrikun. Qul, meaning say to the mushrikun. Say what to them? Qul, huwa Allahu ahad. Say to them that Allah is one. And the reason for this, the sabab al-nuzul, the reason why Allah gave us this chapter of the Qur'an, it is mentioned that the mushrikun, they were saying to the Prophet Rabbak. Describe to us who your Lord is. They were coming to the Messenger like challenging him, tell us then, describe to us who your Lord is. So when they came to the Prophet saying to him, Tell us and describe to us who your Lord is. Tell us. So then Allah revealed this chapter of the Quran, which tells us who Allah is, tells us about the Tawheed and the oneness of Allah. So it was an answer to those mushrikun. This is who Allah is. This is who Allah is. So then Allah said, say to them, قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدٍ that he is Allah, the one. And this is clear regarding Tawheed, because the meaning of Tawheed is that you single out Allah alone for worship. No one is to be worshipped, no deity, no idol, no statue, no one dead in their graves, not even the prophets or messengers. You single out Allah for worship alone, your prayer, your zakat, your hajj, your umrah, your fasting, everything is done for the sake of Allah alone. So, قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدٌ He is Ahad. And one of the reasons as well, why, what is the difference between Ahad and Wahid? Uh-huh. Because Ahad and Wahidun both mean like one, but Ahad does not have any other number that can go with it. Wahidun 
Can it have other numbers that go with it? You can have wahidun and then ithmani and thalatha, but ahadun indicates the only one. So, قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدْ Say, He is Allah, the only one. Allahu samad Allah is As-Samad. As-Samad, one of the meanings of it is that Allah is self-sufficient and that all of the creation, our needs, everything, we are dependent upon Allah. That is one of the meanings of it. There are some others, but that is one of them. That Allah is As-Samad, the self-sufficient, and we, all of the creation, all of our needs, we are dependent, and we have to take our needs back to Allah and ask Allah for all of our affairs. So, قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدُ اللَّهُ الصَّمَدُ لَمْ يَلِدْ وَلَمْ يُولَدْ That he did not give birth, nor was he given birth to. So there is no father or parents to Allah. And there are no children to Allah. He is al-awwal wal-akhir. He is the first without any beginning or anything prior to him. And he is the last without anything after him. So there are no parents for Allah. Nothing before him. And there are no children after him. And this is therefore a refutation. It shows you the mistake that many people made regarding Allah. Allah tells us here, there are no parents, there are no children. Allah is one, nothing before him, nothing after him. But some people, they say that Allah has a son. Like the Christians, they say, Isa alayhi salam, Jesus is the son of Allah. So this shows that is incorrect. Because Allah says, Lam yalid wa lam yulad. No, uh, neither did he give birth, nor was he given birth to. No parents, no children. So the belief of the Christians cannot be correct. The Jews, they also claimed, some of them, that Allah has a son. They claimed that Uzair is the son of Allah. Some of them claimed Uzair is the son of Allah. So that is a refutation of them also. And the Mushrikun, the people who used to worship the idols and the statues and the trees and the stones and everything, even those people, they used to say that Allah has daughters because they used to lie and say that the angels are the daughters of Allah. They declared the angels to be females and we do not say that at all. And we do not declare and say that the angels are females, but they began to say the angels are females. They made that lie up, and then on top of that, they said the angels are the daughters of Allah. Made that lie up as well. Allah tells us here, all of that is false. There are no parents, there are no children, there is no wife. Lam yalid wa lam yulat. And then, 
وَلَمْ يَكُلْ لَهُ كُفُوًا أَحَدٍ And he does not have any equal or any partners. He does not have any equal or any partners. وَلَمْ يَكُلْ لَهُ كُفُوًا أَحَدٍ الْكُفُ is a partner or an equal, a nadir, a nid. All of these words indicating something equal or participant or partner to Allah. And this highlights, Allah tells us, وَلَمْ يَكُلْ لَهُ كُفُوًا أَحَدٍ that there is no partner, no participant, no equal to Allah. Allah is one and alone, the only creator of the heavens and the earth. No one aided or helped Allah to do that. No one participated with Allah in that. No one is an equal to Allah whatsoever. So then, After mentioning that, Ash-Shaykh Al-Fawzan says, وَلَمْ يَكُلْ لَهُ كُفُوًا أَحَدٍ This is similar to the statement of Allah in the Qur'an, لَيْسَ كَمِثْلِهِ شَيْءٍ That there is nothing like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There is nothing like unto Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala no comparison no resemblance and that's why you can never try to describe and imagine Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala all we can say is what Allah has told us about himself and Allah said in the Quran هَلْ تَعْلَمُ لَهُ سَمِيَّا is there any namesake to Allah? Is there any namesake, any equivalent, any partner, any equal to Allah? Ay, hal ta'lamu ahadan yusawihi subhanah wa yusamihi ala al-haqiqah? Do you know anybody who is a namesake, a resemblant to Allah? Then of course not. Of course not. فَقَوْلُ النَّاظِمِ رَحِمَهُ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى وَلَيْسَ بِمَوْلُودٍ وَلَيْسَ بِوَالِدٍ هذا مأخوذ من سورة الإخلاص التي فيها إثبات الأحدية والصمدية لله جل وعلا ونفي الولد والوالد عنه سبحانه ونفي المشابهة والمثلية له سبحانه وتعالى فلا يشبهه شيء من خلقه so when Ibn Abi Dawood mentioned here that he was not born, neither was he a father, meaning that he is taking this from Surah Al-Ikhlas, that Allah does not have any parents and neither does he have any children. He is the one and alone and he is the one that all of the creation have to return back to. This is highlighting the very basis of Tawheed. What is the fundamental basis of Tawheed? To single out Allah with your worship. What is the shirk that the people commit? They start doing their worship for others besides Allah. They start making dua to others instead of to Allah. They start making dua to the dead in the graves. 
They stopped making dua to the tombs and the shrines and to the prophets and the messengers to others besides Allah. So here Ibn Abi Dawood is highlighting very clearly every act of worship that you do must be done sincerely for the sake of Allah alone. Then he mentions, and this part of the poem, it is about the last topic. وَقَدْ يُنْكِرُ الْجَهْمِيُّ هَذَا That's talking about Ru'yatullah. وَقَدْ يُنْكِرُ الْجَهْمِيُّ هَذَا And maybe a Jahmi may refuse to accept this. Accept what? He's talking about the previous section. About seeing Allah. You remember we spoke about seeing Allah last week. He says maybe a Jahmi, they are from the people of innovation. A group of the people who were misguided away from the teachings of the Prophet known as the Jahmiyyah because of who they followed, named after their leader. So they were misguided and they didn't understand Islam properly. They began to say that you will not see Allah. وَقَدْ يُنْكِرُ الْجَهْمِيُّ هَذَا أَيْ رُؤْيَةُ اللَّهِ فِي الْآخِرَةِ وَلَا مُسْتَنَدَ لَهُ فِي ذَلِكَ And if the Jahmi, if the people of innovation and misguidance like the Jahmiyyah, they refuse to accept you can see Allah in the afterlife, then do we accept that or not? No. وَعِنْدَنَا بِمِسْدَاقِ مَا قُلْنَا حَدِيثٌ مُصَرِّحُ We have to testify to the truthfulness of what we said, a clear hadith. He's now telling you, if anybody refuses to accept that you can see Allah in the afterlife, which we spoke about last week and the evidences, if anybody refuses to accept, you can see Allah in the afterlife, like the Jahmiyyah. Then you can tell them, we have a clear hadith, which proves it. We have a clear hadith from the sunnah of the Prophet wasallam, which proves you can see Allah, as well as all of the ayat, and the examples that we gave last week, all of those were evidences. But here he highlights specifically a hadith that we have. رواه جرير عن مقال محمد فقل مثل ما قد قال في ذاك تنجح. He says, we have the hadith of Jarir, Jarir ibn Abdullah al-Bajali. He is one of the companions of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, Jarir ibn Abdullah, one of the companions of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He told us that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam had said the hadith about seeing the seeing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala just like you would see the full moon, and nothing would block your vision of the full moon. So we have that clear hadith narrated from Jarir ibn Abdullah radiallahu anhu. فَنَحْنُ عِنْدَنَا فِي إِثْبَاتِ الرُّؤْيَةِ أَحَدِيثُ كَثِيرَةِ مُتَوَاتِرَةِ 
من رواية جماعة من الصحابة رضي الله عنهم There are actually many many hadith about seeing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala It is not only one hadith of Jarir ibn Abdullah There are many hadith about seeing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala This is just one of them and it's mentioned قَدْ سَاقَهَا إِبْنُ الْقَيِّمُ رَحِمَهُ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى فِي كِتَابِ إِبْنُ الْقَيِّمُ رَحِمَهُ اللَّهُ mentioned all of these hadith in his book حَادِ الْأَرْوَاحِ إِلَى بِلَادِ الْأَفْرَاحِ The one that guides or the guide of the souls to the land of delight roughly and in this particular book he mentioned the evidences for seeing Allah So that is a book where Ibn al-Qayyim he talks about paradise and the descriptions of paradise but within that he talks about the topic of seeing Allah and mentions all of the different hadith and the different chains of narration and the different companions who mention the hadith about seeing Allah so then Ibn Abi Dawud says فَقُلْ مِثْلَ مَا قَدْ قَالْ so say just like what he said regarding that then you will be successful how will you be successful by saying what the hadith say by saying what the sunnah says what the evidences say as for what the people make up and what they claim and they say you cannot see Allah and you cannot do this and you can do that and they make it up and it is not from the evidences of the Qur'an or the Sunnah, then we cannot accept what they say. So to be successful, you must learn and understand the Qur'an and the Sunnah. Then he says, and this is now a new topic, this is now a new chapter, وَقَدْ يُنْكِرُ الْجَهْمِيُّ أَيْضًا يَمِينَهُ وَكِلْتَا يَدَيْهِ بِالْفَوَاضِلِ تَنْفَحُ Now he's going to talk about another topic. And he says that the Jahmiyyah, remember the Jahmiyyah, is a name of a group of people who were misguided. They didn't understand Islam properly and they made many mistakes. From the people of innovation, Ahlul Bid'ah. He says the Jahmiyyah may also reject other things too. And he's going to mention one of those other things that the Jahmiyyah reject also. When it comes to us understanding who Allah is, how do we understand who Allah is? From where? From the Quran, 
what Allah has told us about himself in the Quran because in the Quran in many parts Allah tells us about himself and also in the hadith in many hadith the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam tells us about Allah so in the Quran and in the hadith we have information about Allah Sometimes Allah tells us about certain descriptions, attributes, sifat, that Allah has certain attributes like descriptions. But when Allah tells us about these attributes, these kind of descriptions, then you should never think that those descriptions are like our descriptions for example Allah sees everything and Allah has mentioned to us that he has eyes but that does not mean that the eyes of Allah are in any way at all like our eyes and you cannot try to start imagining Allah's eyes like our eyes not at all there is nothing like Allah, no example, no imagination you can have. Allah tells us about other things that he has. But every time you hear about one of those attributes like descriptions, you have to remember never to imagine them like our descriptions. You never imagine them like our descriptions because they are not like our descriptions at all. They are not comparable. There's no comparison, no resemblance. So one of the things that Allah told us about is that when he created the first person who was Adam salam, that Allah created him with his own hands and that Allah planted paradise with his own hands there are explanations of Allah doing things with his hands so Allah has told us that he has hands but you cannot imagine that they are like our hands at all there is no comparison and you cannot start imagining what Allah looks like and what his hands look like. You cannot do any imagination like that. One of the evidences, as Sheikh Al-Thaymeen mentioned, one of the proofs that you can't imagine something necessarily just because of the word and the name of it is like the word leg. The word leg, rijlun, describe what a leg looks like. You don't know what a leg is? What does a leg look like? So it's a bit bigger than the arm, it's a bit thicker, you can stand on it, it's got knees. How big is it, like one meter? Huh? Kind of like one meter. So that's a description of a leg. If somebody says to you though, 
a leg looks like a lamppost. Is that true or not? No? What if somebody says to you, a leg looks like a tree trunk? The size of a tree trunk. No? What if somebody says to you, a leg is actually the size of a pin? You know, a pin, or like a staple, a small staple, a pin, it's that size. So what about the leg of a giraffe? Isn't that like a lamppost? It's the size of a lamppost. What about the leg of an elephant or a rhino or a hippopotamus? Isn't that the size of a tree trunk? So that would be true as well. What about the leg of a spider? Isn't it the size of a staple or a pin? So that would be true as well. Which means all of them were true. All of those descriptions were true. But the word used for all of them was leg. So if I say leg, which leg am I talking about? Which description am I talking about? There's lots of different descriptions. So if the word leg, for example, has so many different descriptions in the creation, then imagine how much of a difference there's going to be between the creation and the creator in these words. We have hands, but Allah says he has hands, they are going to be completely different. And you cannot imagine what the hands of Allah would be like. So this is what you have to remember. When Allah tells us about himself and his attributes, the, the descriptions, you cannot start imagining that they look like ours. Because the first thing you're going to imagine is what you see in the creation. But you do not compare and make resemblance of Allah to creation at all. So one of the things Allah told us about is his hands. And that he created Adam alayhi salam with his own hands. But the jahmiya, the people of innovation, the misguided ones, they began to claim that Allah does not have hands. But Allah told us in the Qur'an and in the Sunnah that He has hands. So here then, Al-Jahmiyu, Al-Ladhi yakunu ala madhhabi Al-Jahm ibn Safwan, Al-Ladhi akhadha madhhabahu an Al-Ja'ad ibn Dirham, the Jahmiya, they are the followers of Jahm ibn Safwan. That's why they are known as the Jahmiya, the followers of Jahm Safwan. That was the name of their leader, the misguided one. So they may say that Allah does not have these things, Allah doesn't have these attributes. So the Jahmiya, they have mistakes in many different parts of Aqeedah. One of their mistakes is in the names and attributes of Allah, the descriptions regarding Allah. 
فقوله وقد ينكر الجهمي هذا the قد here doesn't mean maybe doesn't mean that in this case in this case it means التحقيق قد مثل قد قامت الصلاة ومنه قول تعالى لقد سمع الله قول الذين قالوا قد in Arabic one of the meanings of it is something definitely definitely certainly so قد ينكر الجهمي أيضا that the Jahmi will also reject this they reject some of these descriptions or attributes of Allah أيضا أي كما أنكر رؤية الله أيضاً ينكر إثبات اليدين So just like the Jahmiyyah, they refused to accept that you can see Allah They also refused to accept that Allah has hands or other attributes that Allah has mentioned Wallahu jalla wa ala lahu sifatun thatiyyah Mithlu liyadayn wal wajh wal qadamayn wal asabi' وله صفات فعلية مثل النزول والاستواء والكلام والخلق So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has attributes of his essence Allah has hands and a face and legs all of these types of descriptions Allah has told us about himself but remember we're not going to Imagine them to be like us. You cannot imagine what Allah looks like. Uh, and also Allah has attributes of actions that Allah does. Like an nuzul that Allah descends. We said Allah is where? Above all of the creation. Everything above it all. Above the throne. Above everything. But in the last third of the night... In the last few hours before Fajr, in the last third of the night, what happens? Every night Allah descends. Allah descends to the lowest heaven. So that is one of the attributes of Allah. And Nuzul, on the day of Arafah when Hajj is being done, Allah descends. So there are examples of this. Al-Istiwa, Allah rises up above the throne. That is another thing, another action that Allah does. Al-Kalam, Allah speaks. Like we said, Allah spoke to Musa salam, And creation, Allah creates. These are actions, attributes of the actions of Allah. So we affirm and we believe in all of these, but some of the people of innovation, they reject them. فَكُلُّ مَا جَاءَ الدَّلِيلُ بِإِثْبَاتِهِ لِلَّهِ مِنْ صِفَاتِ الذَّاتِ فَإِنَّنَا نُثْبِتُهُ لِلَّهِ عَزَّ وَجَلْ خِلَافًا لِلْمُعَطِّلَةِ الَّذِينَ يَنْفُونَ أَسْمَاءَ اللَّهِ وَصِفَاتِهِ وَعَلَى رَأْسِهِمُ الْجَهْمِيَّةِ وَخِلَافًا لِلْمُمَثِّلَةِ الذين يغلون في الإثبات حتى يشبهوا صفات الله بصفات الله بصفات خلقه فهم على طرفي نقيض فهؤلاء غلوا في التنزيه حتى نفوا أسماء الله وصفاته وهؤلاء غلوا في الإثبات حتى شبهوا الله بخلقه. When it comes to these descriptions, these names and attributes of Allah, there were some people 
who were misguided on one side, known as the Mu'attilah, who rejected and refused to accept many of the names and attributes of Allah. And on the other side, there were some misguided people on the other extreme who accepted the names and attributes of Allah but compared them to creation, the Mushabbiha. So one group rejected them and they said, if you accept them, then you're going to be comparing Allah to creation. But we just said, you accept them, but without any comparison to creation. The others, they accepted them, but to such a level they began comparing them to creation. But we say, you accept them, but don't compare them to creation. So you are in the balanced way between those two groups of innovation and the proof for that is Allah told us there is nothing like him which means you cannot do any comparison you can't compare anything or imagine anything because there is nothing like Allah at all but then he is the all hearing and the all seeing which proves that Allah does have attributes. Allah he hears, Allah sees. So we accept the attributes of Allah, but we don't compare them to our attributes. So what is the proof that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has hands? وَمِنْ صِفَاتِ الذَّاتِيَّةِ الْيَدَانِ وَقَدْ جَاءَ إِثْبَاتُهُمَا فِي كَلَامِ اللَّهِ عَزَّ وَجَلْ وَفِي سُنَّةِ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صلى الله عليه وسلم كَقَوْلِهِ تَعَالَى وَالسَّمَاوَاتُ مَطْوِيَّاتٌ بِيَمِينِهِ That the heavens are going to be rolled up in his right hand Proving and showing and telling us that all of the heavens are going to be rolled up in the hand of Allah, affirming and proving the hand of Allah. And also in the Quran, قَالَ يَا إِبْلِيسُ مَا مَنَعَكَ أَن تَسْجُدَ لِمَا خَلَقْتُ That what is it, O Iblis, that prevented you from prostrating to who I created? with my own two hands because when shaitan iblis refused to prostrate to adam السلام, so then allah says to him oh iblis what stopped you from prostrating to who i created with my hands allah created adam السلام, with his own hands fahuma yadani haqiqatani لكن ليستا كيدي المخلوقين بل هما يدان تليقان بجلال الله وعظمته لا يعلم كيفيتهما إلا الله جل وعلا. So Allah has two hands in reality, actual two hands, two actual hands, but they are not like any of the hands of creation. فَنَحْنُ نُثْبِتُهُمَا عَلَى مَعْنَاهُمَا الْحَقِيقِ وَنَنْفِي عَنْهُمَا التَّمْثِيلَ وَالتَّشْبِيهِ 
فلا يشبهان يدي المخلوق so we affirm and we accept the hands of Allah upon reality actual hands of Allah but we do not compare them or make any resemblance of them to creation so the people of innovation the misguided ones who didn't accept Allah has hands then what are they going to say about these ayat in the Quran in the Quran Allah tells us lima khalaqtu biyadi that which I created with my hands but they don't believe in the hands of Allah so what do they say this ayah in the Quran means metaphoric meaning of power they say for example Qudrah Majaz they say it is like a metaphor metaphorical that I created with my two powers with my two powers so does this mean Allah the mighty and majestic only has two powers that's it Allah only has two powers cannot be correct Allah's power is unlimited so you can see straight away their explanations are incorrect so they say so they say that this is with my two powers and of course that is incorrect Allah is not limited to two powers so does Allah only have one or two powers? Of course not. The power of Allah is unlimited. So in these kinds of ayat where Allah mentions one or two hands, then you cannot possibly say Allah only has one or two powers. So that is a deviated, misguided understanding that they have. And this is an interpretation they have made up themselves. Because one of the biggest reasons they went astray, they became misguided, was because, as the people of Sunnah have said about them, they would give priority to their intellects over the actual evidences they would give priority to their intellect over and above what the Quran and the Sunnah says so if the Quran and the Sunnah said something which their brain couldn't work out then they would misinterpret it on purpose in a different way that they could agree with in their brain and that's why they ended up changing the meanings of so many things uh, and so that's why he says here وَقَدْ يُنْكِرُ الْجَهْمِيُّ أَيْضًا يَمِينَهُ وَكِلْتَ يَدَيْهِ بِالْفَوَاضِلِ تَنْفَحُ That both of the hands of Allah are upon generosity to his creation. That there is generosity from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That mercy and generosity and giving that Allah gives to all of his creation. 
And this is again a refutation of some of the people of innovation, like the Jews who said that Allah, his hands are tied up. That's what the Jews said, that Allah's hands are tied up. And that is of course a lie. قَوْلُوا تَنْفَحُوا يَعْنِي مُسْتَمِرَّ فِي الْعَطَاءِ الَّذِي لَا يَنْقَطِعُ مِنَ اللَّهِ سُبْحَانَهُ وَتَعَالَى That Allah is always generous and giving to His creation. وَالْيَهُودُ قَبَّحَهُمُ اللَّهِ لَمَّا وَصَفُوا اللَّهَ جَلَّ وَعَلَى بِالْبُخْلِ قَالُوا يَدُ اللَّهِ مَغْلُولَةِ فَقَالَ اللَّهُ سُبْحَانَهُ وَتَعَالَى غُلَّتْ أَيْدِيهِمْ وَلُعِنُوا بِمَا قَالُوا بَلْ يَدَاهُمَ بِصُوطَتَانِ يعني بالجود والعطاء والكرم So the Jews they said the hands of Allah are tied that Allah is miserly his hands are tied and he's not generous and he doesn't give but then Allah refuted them that they are the ones their hands are tied they be cursed Rather, the hands of Allah are open. The hands of Allah are open and He gives to His creation and He gives to the dua that they make. That brings us to the end of that chapter. And next time, we're going to start on the chapter about what we just said. Allah is where? Above all of the creation. But in the last third of the night, Allah descends to the lowest heaven. And that's the topic we're going to talk about next time. Uh, about Allah descending in the last third of the night to the lowest heaven. And what does Allah say? And what is the virtue of that time? That's what we'll discuss in the next lesson, inshaAllah ta'ala. So we'll conclude upon that for today then. Any questions or anything up to there? They say that Isa is the son of God, but then Isa salam was killed. Can God be killed? So you know that's wrong. Isa salam cannot be the son of God. Anybody else? So you come into the masjid and the prayer, they are praying. The imam is praying two full rows. So you cannot fit, you have to go by yourself on the third row. So you're going to pray by yourself on the third row. Yeah, so you're going to start the new row. You're going to be the only person yet. So you're going to, what if nobody else comes in? That means you're going to pray by yourself on the third row. What's the fatwa? This there is a big difference of opinion between the scholars. If you look in the books of fiqh, a big ikhtilaf. Can you pray by yourself? Can the soft be one person? Some of the fuqaha, they have the opinion you cannot do that. 
And they say, even if the rows are full, you know, in some of the books of fiqh, they say, even if the rows are full, full, they say, the person cannot pray by himself. There is no soft by yourself. They say, what do you do then? Some of them, some of them, they say, pull one person back. Huh? Make a gap, you know, this is a problem. You're going to pull one person. And the person you pull back as well. Imagine now you come to the mosque, Imam praying one full row. And then you pull someone back. Miskin, you pulled him back from the first row, from all the, the thawab, the ajar of the first row to second row. So it's a problem pulling somebody back. They say, okay, don't pull somebody back. What else can you do? Wait until someone comes. What else? They say, go to the imam. <laughs> it's in the books of fiqh. The ones who don't take the opinion of praying. It's a strong opinion too, you know. Many, many scholars. They say, you cannot pray one person soft by himself. So they say, either squeeze in or even pull somebody back or even come to the imam. But, you know, these all have some issues. The other opinion is you can pray by yourself. Pray by yourself. You can do the soft by yourself when there is nothing else available. It's allowed and the prayer is valid. That's the other opinion. And if you're going to do that, then it's not established that you start from the right hand side. You start behind the imam. In the middle. Start behind the imam, not from the edge. Hmm? Alone, if you follow this opinion and, and, and accept it. Just start from the middle behind the imam. Then the next person come to your right and then you, know, you carry on the road from there. But it, it, you know, it's a, uh, there is a lot of difference about this. There is a lot. It's surprising. There is a lot of difference about the one person praying by himself or not. Allah alam. You know, maybe, you know, hopefully it's okay. Hopefully the prayer is valid. I don't know. So inshallah the correct, you know, hopefully it's okay, your prayer is valid. But uh, as Shaykh Al-Bani mentioned, that nobody is burdened more than you can, or, you know, bear. So if you've done everything you can do, and there's no way you can fit, then you pray. No problem, then you go to his left. Just go to his other side then, so you're going towards the middle. So the third person who came didn't join up with you two and he came. Yeah, that's no problem because I mean people they don't fix the lines anyway, that's the problem. That's okay because if you weren't close to him there'd be a gap between you and the other person. There's gonna be a gap one side because people aren't joining up. So if you go to this side, Yeah, it goes to uh, uh, there's someone by the name of Labid. Labid bin Asim. It goes back, there's a chain of narration. It goes back to the, uh, there's some Jewish connection in the chain of narration and then to the mush uh, Musharikun as well. All of this is taken from the non-Muslims, the asal of it, the foundation of it all. Hmm.
According to one opinion, that would be okay. According to the opinion that you cannot pray by yourself. The full chain of narration, Jaham ibn Safwan, uh, and then he, huh? Jaham yeah, ibn Safwan, and then it is mentioned, there is one by the name of Al-Ma'bad ibn Dirham, and then there is Aban ibn Sam'an, and then there is Talut ibn Ukht Labid, and then there is Labid ibn Al-A'asam, Al-Yahudi, and then it is the Yahud of Yemen. That's what they say is the chain of narration. That you can come and take a picture now if you want afterwards. <laughs> and it's in the books of Aqidah. All the books of Aqidah you have this, uh, they mention it. All right, we'll stop there for today then. Resume next week, inshallah ta'ala.